welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. And we're rolling. What's up, dude? What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm super good. Hey, everybody. I'm down here in Georgia still, and, you know, one thing I keep getting humbled about is you leave the professional stuff to the professionals, and, dude, you got an amazing skill with your camera work and videography and editing ability, so I'm going to... I don't even know all of your background. I'm going to let you introduce yourself, if you don't mind, because I know you've worked with a lot of mutual friends. You've been on a lot of really cool stuff, but um, I'm a video geek. I love, well, I'm a self-filming video geek, I guess. I think I've done fairly good at not being trained. Well, the self-filming is the hardest form of <laughs> deer, as far as hunting filming. People ask me if I self-film all the time. I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> well, thanks. That is so tough. <laughs> well, go ahead and introduce yourself and let people know like where you've worked, yeah. who you've worked with, yeah, and then I'm we'll, a, we'll talk about this. For sure. Well, I appreciate the kind words before we get started. But uh, yeah, I'm Caleb Copeland. Um, I grew up in northeast Georgia and grew up playing baseball and hunting. And I, you know, the whole goal was one day get paid to do one or the other. And uh, I learned early on that the baseball thing was a one in a million. So um, the hunting thing seems today is one in a million as well. But, uh, you know, I was given an opportunity years ago by Mark Womack and worked for Sub 7 for a little over five years. Um, first gig was producing a web series for Jeff Foxworthy and then went to go and, you know, I did some stuff with all the other shows that we did. We always tried to cross train. Craig Morgan's All Access Outdoors, Lee and Tiffany, um, Hunt Masters, we did several. I think we were doing six or seven shows before I left, and then the Under Armour short films as well. Um, but my main gig was, when I first got there, was Jeff Foxworthy's web show, um, Foxworthy Outdoors Inside and Out. And then uh, three years into that, we started producing The Habit with John Paul Morris from Bass Pro, Chuck Belmore, and John Justice. And I did that for uh, three and a half years. And then in February, went off and been doing my own thing and been doing the contract with drift media for a little while but um you know i was i was you i was very self-taught in the beginning and i thought i knew what i was doing until i started working with people that actually knew what they were doing and i learned so much in three months working a job that i was not qualified for in the beginning so uh give a lot of that to the the guys at sub seven to teach that taught me a lot and then i i learned a lot by making a lot of mistakes but that's how you learn Oh yeah, a hundred percent. That's how you learn. Well, I wanna. I thought this would be the perfect time. It's end of October. I'm in Georgia, which could possibly be foolish, other than I'm other than I'm meeting good friend. Like to me, this is valuable. So I, mean, I don't regret not being in Iowa in a tree stand right now. Mm, I don't know. Um, that's a, that's a, still a tough call. <laughs> no, I'm. I between meeting you and Hunter, and obviously getting to see Andy. Uh, shoot a whitetail and then getting to meet Jamie down here and his family and and Baker it's been a really good trip and then obviously um, 
Caleb's down here today helping me um, film something that I'm going to be doing uh, for Killcliff. And actually, by the time by the time this podcast comes out, sorry about that if you heard it. By the time the podcast comes out, you're probably going to see it. But um, I want to try to raise some money for the Navy SEAL Foundation. So Caleb's actually we're doing a couple fun little. Uh, videos just doing some some shooting at some Killcliff cans and Killcliff is super active with the Navy SEAL Foundation and they've run some big fundraising campaigns for them in the past so um, I'm gonna do a short little video with your help and we're gonna um, Sharon and I are gonna donate money um, for anyone who can uh, post a video with a cool kill cliff shot, you know, shooting a kill cliff can with your bow, with broadhead, uh, whatever. And we're going to just let you put some videos out there. We'll come up with a hashtag. Make sure you look at my Instagram account, uh, and you'll see the details, which we'll have nailed by the time this podcast rolls out. Yeah. Um, we learned and, a few things, engineering, shooting those things too, didn't we? How, <laughs> how to shoot them, how not to shoot them, how to set up the shots to where they don't bust everywhere or fall over before you ever even get to shoot at them. So. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've had to, we've, We've tried to be creative. We've tried broadheads. We've tried non-broadheads. We've tried shaking cans, letting the pressure out of the can first. And we've, I think we've almost perfected the ability to pour drinks um, <laughs> with arrows, which is really cool, um, into our Yetis. So yeah, all kinds of cool stuff like that. Uh, I want to see kind of what people come up with. It could be awesome. And then um, for everyone that does it, Sharon and I are going to donate uh, money to the Navy SEAL Foundation, and uh, you're going to be the reason for that. And then if you would like to donate yourself, um, then we'll give you the ability to do that too. Um, but I want to tell you a story. Um, years ago, when Foxworthy was first like getting into everything, um, he actually was down hunting the Milk River, I think right at the beginning or tail end of my hunt there and uh he was wanting to get set up with a bow because he was just started out with a gun at first mm -hmm. so naturally we were when i was at matthews we were real trees biggest client at the time so he called me on my cell phone one time and i was walking into the office and he said you know hey john it's jeff foxworthy and i said all right and i started talking i was sitting in my car long enough but i knew i had to get inside had to punch back in and I said hey man I got to go in the building I said I got to punch back in I said but when I I said can you just call me right back I said like two minutes tops and I said but when you call I said you know I said just just say it's Jeff I said don't don't say it's Jeff Foxworthy because I said normally like if they hadn't like I don't want them to to like have a crowd yeah, in my office for sure and because a lot of times if a celebrity calls, you know, especially back then, you know, Matthews was growing and it's like that with any company, you start to deal with people where you're like, oh my God, so-and-so's calling. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of the girls from customer service would like be hovering around you. So anyway, I'm about halfway between the time clock and my office and I hear John Dudley, Brad Pitt on the phone. John Dudley, Brad Pitt on the phone. And I was <laughs> Typical just, Jeff yeah, style. Yeah. And next thing I know, I had like the entire customer service squad just like looking in there. I picked up the phone. I'm like, dude, 
Like, come on. You know, that, that was one of the questions I always got about him was like, is he that funny in real life? And and he he is, and he can he can turn off Jeff Foxworthy. He can turn it off too. But you know, when he's in hunting camp, he wants to. He just he wants to hang out and be one of the guys because he doesn't get a chance to do that. You know, yeah. he's always somewhere getting bombarded by cameras or you know whatever it is. But he's such a good dude, so down to earth. And but his friends are as funny as he is. And uh, being yeah. in camp with those guys, there was there was never a dull moment. We had a <laughs> we had a really good time in camp and messing around and just stuff they'd come up with. It was it was always a good time. <laughs> well, let's start out with. Um, let's just. I mean, you've got gadgets. You've got gadgets for your gadgets. Actually, I mean, you've got apps for your apps. literally right yeah usually Um, um so let's just start out let's go back to the basics and um kind of go right to pretending you know you're out with your buddy and you guys are deer hunting and you're wanting to start filming for the first time Mm -hmm. let's just talk about um the you know the the nut and bolt gear Mm -hmm. that you need to have and kind of just walk through what you think people need for you know, let's just start out with videography, you know, mm-hmm. to, to video your first hunt. What are the things that you think people could could have a decent hunt, maybe, event, you know, maybe use that footage to yeah. create something cool on the web or something like that? Like where, yeah. where, do you, where would you recommend the, to start? You know, if it's going to depend. The number one, when I get that question, it's always first question I ask is what's your budget? Mm-hmm. Because that is, that is a huge determining factor of what you can and cannot do. Um, you know, you get a guy that calls you and says, you know, I got a budget of a thousand dollars or less. You know, sounds like you're you're probably going to be stuck with a like a GoPro or in my my favorites the Garmin Verb, um, as far as a point and shoot like POV camera. Mm-hmm. Um, very basic. They're very wide angle, and unless the you know the animals like under twenty yards, they're going to be a speck in the frame just because of how those cameras are set up. But that's what you want. You just want to be able to relive that. That's great. Um, if you've got a little bit better budget, you know, $2,000, $2,500, I tell people all the time, you don't have to buy new cameras because this day and age, the cameras have very little to no moving parts. They all shoot on solid state media, whether that's an SD card or like the big cameras we're running use the XQD card. So there's really not a whole lot to wear out with them. And the most cameras you're going to get came out of a studio or out of a very, you know, indoor environment, not like we're going to use them. Mm-hmm. So I, I go on eBay a lot of the time, and I'll research cameras and look for prices. You know, bought pretty much every camera I've ever bought has been either through eBay or Craigslist or something like that. Pretty much all I do is look for cosmetic wear. If they've like been, not been drugged behind a truck, they're probably in pretty good shape. You know, we've had, I mean, you know, when I was at Sub 7 and even now, these cameras get used and abused and they, for the most part, they keep going. They're, they're really resilient. Unless you get them salt water in them, they're pretty resilient. <laughs> salt water will zap anything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, there's I, really, it starts with your budget. All right. If you got a decent budget, really good camera is the, you know, the XA 10, the XA 20 from Canon. It's a really simple camera. It's got all the manual functions, but it also does fairly well in auto. But if it's something that you want to get serious about, um, I recommend people buying a camera that you can run everything in auto and they have either dedicated buttons or rings for your aperture, your shutter speed, and your focus. Because 
focus you never want to run in in auto just because because as soon as you run in auto on your deer hunting and that deer goes behind those limbs or those trees and you go to shoot him there's that one twig sticking down it's going to focus on that one twig and you're not going to get your shot it's just it's going to happen it might not happen every time if you're in a wide open field then go for it but very rarely lends itself to the, the autofocus thing that's one of the things that I've trained all my viewers to like that yeah. actual shot. Yeah, I for call sure. that artistic. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I like to draw the eye into the nature before yeah. the shot happens. Oh, yeah. I love, and I love the un- underexposed or overexposed shots. And you just go black and white. Nobody will notice. <laughs> Nobody's going to notice. Um, but, but for sure. And then, uh, you know, you, you step like, and if you want a, a big camera with some dedicated rings and buttons, go buy a used AX2000 or NX5, Sony NX5, Sony X2000, NX3 even, the newer ones. You can get them fairly inexpensive for what they are and then uh, and get a good, get good support. Don't skimp on your support, your tripod, your camera arm, because that makes all the difference in the world. And a good support and a good tripod, good, good fluid head, they're going to cost more, but in the, in the video side, you absolutely get what you pay for. Yeah, I think two of the things, my camera, I mean, I run I run even less than that. For me, just capturing my hunts, because I'm, I'm always packing stuff myself. So, yeah. I mean... And that's another thing. If you're self-filming or if you're filming with a buddy, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. What I've found is, at least for me, a lot of times when I go and I'm trying to have someone film for me to try to teach them like an nx5u or something mm-hmm. it's almost like overwhelming to them and a lot of times your footage isn't as good like that little i've got um a little canon g30 that's just kind of on like a little handheld scorpion yeah. rig that um that i use when i go on trips to where i can flip that thing on in an airport and walk around or i can you know follow you guys around and it's mm-hmm. easy um but you know otherwise i've been running like an xh a20 um, which has like XLR mics to where you can mm-hmm. have, you know, you can have a boom mic and you can, you know, use wireless, mm-hmm. but my cameras, you know, my camera itself, they've always been almost equal in price to what you put on them. I mean, I think like a really good, um, a really good tree arm, a good tripod, you know, with a good fluid head mm-hmm. and a good base. Not like, you know, if you get one of the cheapest little bases where it's a two inch square, you know, that just can't hold some of these cameras. Um, and then a thumb remote, a really good thumb remote for me has made just a world of difference mm-hmm. in learning how to learning how to work a thumb remote, learning how to either have a tripod and a blind with you or a tree arm yeah. with you, I think are like kind of the, the staples really yeah. for for starting out and another thing too starting out and guys like you said it's hard it's sometimes overwhelming trying to teach somebody new and you hand them a camera that's you know they're trying to run everything in full manual and it is overwhelming it was overwhelming to me when i first started doing it but if, if they learn anything if they're running a you know a simpler camera learn learn framing learn mm-hmm. how to frame your shot how the rule of thirds and if you don't know what that is youtube it if here's your question about anything you know Go to YouTube. There's anything and everything you could ever imagine. But if you if you don't even know how to know how to run the camera in manual, but you know how to frame the shot, it's automatically going to add production value to what you're doing. Just because the shot, because the normal viewer probably doesn't know why it looks funny, but mm-hmm. they know it looks funny, and yeah. then you frame it correctly, and they're like, okay, that looks professional now. Yeah. So. 
Well, explain some about the rule of thirds. Um, rule of thirds, and then when to use it. Because, yeah. like, I would personally, I wouldn't like a rule of third if I was doing. You know, if I'm following a deer coming in, I wouldn't want the rule of third. But mm-hmm. you know, if you're setting up for like an interview, or yeah, if for you're sure. Setting up to where you want to bring like a picture mm-hmm. picture in, mm-hmm. then obviously that's yeah. the, the application. Yeah, the the rule of thirds is essentially you break your frame. Uh, you break the, the, like your TV screen, you break it into a third, you know, uh, vertically. So you've got the left third, the center third, and the right third. And when you're filming someone, depending on, usually people don't stand, you know, square to you. They'll turn their shoulders one way or the other. They'll be looking one way or the other. So, you know, if they're looking to the left, you frame them looking that way and leave that, that space on the frame open. Mm-hmm. So if they're looking to the left, you would leave. Now I'm having to back, you know, backwards. To it's, me, it's be easier my to, right. Yeah, to your yeah. right. So you leave that side of the frame open. So he's not looking off the edge. So he's right not looking off the, the edge. Then you get into the more artistic things, you know, and it's where you talk about, and this is getting a lot more technical and deep, but do you talk about like some cinema stuff where you frame that opposite. You get them looking into their own frame, and there's a bunch of emptiness behind them. They're looking away from the emptiness, and it kind of gives you that feeling of, either sadness or despair or whatever. And then you get into the psychology of, you know, a video, which is something that's really interested me lately. You know, how you frame things to make someone feel awkward. And it's, and it's for a reason. But if you're just in basic filming, you use that real thirds. And the only time you usually see somebody in that center frame is on the news. You always see people right in the center on a news screen. And uh, when, when they go to that picture in picture, you'll always see them slide them one way or the other mm-hmm. to that real thirds. But you don't like people, you know, kind of in between those thirds. You want to break that, you know, break that uh, that up. And then when I tell people all the time when you're, you're videoing how to frame, you always frame the top of the tallest person's head if you've got more than one person. If it's one person, you frame the top of their head yeah. in general, you know, or you can get tighter, you know, and you can even cut off the top of their head if you get in tight. So, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, that's, you know, that's the absolute quick and dirty basics of it. Yeah. Now, when you set up for filming out of a tree stand, and you actually set one of the sets that I hunted out of with Andy, um, which when I went up to it, I was like, who hung this? And he goes, Caleb did. And I'm like, thank God someone's here that like knows how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so rare that, you know, granted, here in the South, you couldn't ask for a better yeah. tree. Oh, like, yeah. a perfectly straight tree that's mm-hmm. 10 stories high. Like, what more could you ask for? Um, but I know that for me, I like to, to figure out where I want the stand, where the shooting stand needs to be facing. Mm -hmm. And then I personally like the platform of the, of the camera guy to be level with the seat of Mm -hmm. the shooter. Um, but on a 90, so if one stands facing straight out, you put the other stand facing 90 degrees out over, you know, Mm -hmm. over the shoulder, depending on the way the guy shoots. Yep. But most likely, their right side. It's easier for a camera guy uh, to swing that way. And then I'll run the ladder or your sticks or your pegs or whatever. Run that up right between those two stands. Mm -hmm. Well, and what that means is two things. You had a perfect tree, which Mm -hmm. doesn't rarely, very rarely happens. (laughs) And two, you had regard for your camera guy because most people unfortunately don't they get the $25 Walmart stand and they're they get up to the hunter stand and they're looking at their stand like how the heck am I going to get in that (laughs) and it's uh and and you know the lifeline only goes to the hunter stand and they have to you know pray for their life to get into their stand so oh yeah I've had too many of those but but yeah I've hung I've hung enough to know how 
I want I want it to be set up. Yeah. So if somebody if I know it's right for me, it's going to be right for somebody else. So as a camera guy, where are you where do you prefer your like to mount the base of your camera arm? I like to when the base of my camera arm. I'll stand up against a tree and essentially wherever my waist falls, uh-huh. I'll put the top of the base just below my waist. Okay. Because my camera arm is the Muddy Boss Hog. It's the really big one, the biggest one they make, and it sits up. Once you put everything in, the camera probably sits, you know, six, seven inches higher mm-hmm. than where the base is. Once you put the arm on, and the, my fluid head's huge too, so um, I put it there because I can run it sitting or standing. Because yep. sometimes if a deer comes in and ca- catches you with your pants down, you're not going to be able to stand up. Mm-hmm. So I want to be able to run it and have the least amount of movement I can. Or if we see him from a long way and I can stand up. I'm going to stand up if I can because I can do so much more running the camera standing up and I'm you just range of motions better but uh that's that's where I like to set mine up now the the smaller arms I would think it will be a little closer to waist level um just because they don't have that big jump once you put the arm and how much higher they are and they're probably guys fluid heads aren't quite as big as mine but I like to run them where you can sit or stand and obviously like you said if your shooter's right-handed you want to be over the right shoulder left-handed you want to be over left shoulder because we all are shooting for that perfect over the shoulder shot which happens sometimes but we set up for it regardless yeah i normally set mine especially when i'm self-filming i'll set mine which i'm i'm thinking is probably almost the exact same height but i'll set it level with my armpit Mm -hmm. on my right side to where your your camera's hitting okay when i'm sitting that way, if I am sitting and something comes in, I can literally just move my arm and swing that around. And what I found is like when it's just kind of inside or just kind of right at your back armpit, mm-hmm. um, you can actually, if, if you know, especially if you're hunting like a food plot, you can actually extend that arm out further and almost get that kind of over... It's more like over the bow type look. Yeah. It's not going to be a truly over the shoulder type look, but... You know, you can swing it out, and you can pivot your screen around and yeah. put it flat against the camera. At least that's that's one reason why I really like just these little simple G30s, and um, just because you can flip the screen around, put the screen to where the screen is facing you, and then you can just look over your shoulder and see the screen, and you know, and adjust it. Yeah. And obviously, you know, some of the more detailed work that I do in like my, you know, photography and stuff I do with, you know, with better cameras. And I like to film, um, actually one camera that I got this last year, I used to run all Nikon stuff, um, like D610 or uh, D610s and 810s. But now I run, um, that Sony A7R2 and it's, I mean, it's the, the the Sony A7R2 and the A7S2 are both they're both amazing cameras. The S2 does a little bit more when it comes to video mm-hmm. videoing, mm-hmm. whereas the R2 takes about four times larger photos, mm-hmm. but also has some very good yeah. videography tailored, stuff. Tailored to the photographer, and the A7S2 is tailored to the videographer for sure. Right, and I you know I really I've learned. Me personally, I've learned to be a better a better video person by really paying more attention to taking good field photos. Mm-hmm. Like once you start taking good field photos and you start hearing people say, "Man, that's a really good picture. That mm-hmm. picture's amazing." You start realizing, "Okay, if 
like if that type of picture is impressive to people, how do I now capture this? How do I translate that to video? Yeah. Yeah. You got to come forward a little bit more. You're starting to get. Sorry. <laughs> he was chilling on the yep. couch. Um, well, what about uh, when it comes to, to photos? Like, what's, you know, give people five things to, to take a good field shot, and, and I'll fill in a few. You know, it's the photo thing. I've just, I've honestly really started dabbling in the photo thing. I, I really got interested in it. A friend of mine, Chris Irwin, who is a photographer for Bass Pro Forever, is really the one that got me even more interested because some of the stuff he takes is incredible. Ridiculous. And he's And he's tried to... And he's tried to show me how he stitches the images, you know, 20-something images together to make these giant panoramas and how to work on the mid-tones and Lightroom. And it's just, it's, you want to talk about technical. Oh, yeah. Those guys are taking, you know, hours and hours and hours to edit one photo. And, uh, and well, I'm sitting there thinking, That's a bad example because yeah, uh, you've gone from, like, not having much interest to where you showed me yeah. probably photos that could make the cover of time magazine yeah, or no, something. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but to, uh, I did. I'm going to go that far. So but, those uh, are awesome. You know, to me, taking a good photo is just about, you know, what is, what's the subject matter? You know, are you taking a recovery picture, are you taking a landscape and then, and then everything changes within that, you know, you talk, you know, the same things translates to from video to photos about framing, you know, what's your foreground, what's your background, you know, is it blown out this, that, and the other. So I like taking a lot of pictures wide open so, you know whatever my f-stop is all the way down and then really long lens style so you've really got a you know uh really out of focus background and all your eye is focused on whatever the subject is whether that's the animal or the bow or the product or whatever it is um it's just a way to like we talked about super short depth super, of field. super short depth of field to where you you're drawing the eye instinctively to the you know whoever it is viewing the picture to what you want them to see and then um you know like the, what we were talking about earlier and doing the time lapses and the night lapses that's something that's that's really cool to me and being able to pull them into lightroom and make them even better and then export them and doing that kind of thing but the photo thing is to me even more technical than the video once you really get into it mm. and uh it's one of those things where i couldn't it was really hard for me to make that transition from video to photos, and I still really haven't made it. But to me, there was a, it's not really a learning curve. There was some sort of gap that I couldn't fill. And essentially, I think Erwin just pretty much told me, just go out there and start shooting stuff. Yep. You'll figure it out. And, and, I'm, and I'm getting there. But uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to get back and edit. I enjoy editing the pictures as much as, much as I do video now. See, it's, a weird, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a different thing now because... See, when I grew up, when I grew up taking pictures, I loved taking pictures with 35 millimeter. So you never knew what you had until you developed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would come back on a hunt and sometimes I would take three or four rolls of pictures for like one animal and then get back and I would develop all these 35 millimeter rolls. And then all of a sudden you look and it's like, you know, and you're trying to play with exposure mm -hmm. and, you know, you're not having instant feedback. So you're trying to learn exposure. And I would be taking notes like, okay, the first roll I shot half this at like, you know, at this aperture or I shot it on a slower shutter. And then a week later you get film back and then you're like looking at it and you're like, uh, okay, well that's blown out. Mm -hmm. That's too hot. You didn't have correction. Yeah. So I learned to take pictures 
without any experience in photo processing and I still actually don't have very much at all like yeah. a lot of the pictures that I post um, if they look good it's because you know I've got a few different guys that help me develop mm-hmm. uh, pictures I've got Antoine that helps me some and Morgan helps me some me and Sharon have limited knowledge on like Photoshop and Lightroom stuff but I've just learned to where I really get what I want in the field before I leave. Mm-hmm. Like I've just learned to navigate my camera enough to say, this is what I want. And I, you know, I know there's so many apps now that can just make the cool factor mm-hmm. a lot better. But I just think um, if you're really into photography, my advice would be to take yourself through some exercises to where factor out your post your post photo mm-hmm. like you know apps yeah and try to learn to take pictures that have a really outstanding look without having to process that in mm-hmm. and i know that you know especially with what we do we go out and we do photo shoots you know you're just trying to capture this moment and you look at it and you know most good photographers will just say okay, that's good enough. I can clean that up after. Like we don't need to sit here and work with exposure and work with Mm -hmm. F-stops and stuff. Um, But I really learned to take good pictures by buying different lenses. You know, and there's places where you can rent lenses too. You can go online, you can rent a lens, rent a lens for a month and go out and just learn to shoot with it. I know there's a big movement. There's been a big movement in the last few years on super short depths of fields, like shooting with a 1.4 mm-hmm. or a 2.8. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, I did that for a long time. And when we did a lot of the real tree photos for the stores and stuff, mm-hmm. we shot that way. And now I'm starting to go back to where I'm starting to like to see. Um, now, if it's just product, obviously the product yeah. has to be in focus, blow the rest out. But I'm starting to go back to higher f-stops like in my recovery type photos and things like that to where you know i'm almost capturing the entire feel of what my eyes see versus just because i think there's like a movement now of not just like people don't just want to see the trophy Mm -hmm. you know so i'm trying to like maybe go back the other way yeah you know and there's always you know there's an evolution of film i mean film there's things that weren't cool then that are already coming back there's there's a second reason that i like to shoot that really wide depth of or uh wide depth of field too is uh, because you don't have to keep your lenses clean usually because you're shooting (laughs) shooting really shallow like that and you've got a little dust or speck on your lens you won't see it yeah but you start running that high f-stop if your lens isn't perfectly clean you're gonna see it especially if some sun's hitting it so it's kind of a yeah i guess it's I guess a lazy way of not having to make sure your lens is clean all the time because like, you know, when we're doing stuff like this, we're running all over the place, switching lenses, going back and forth and there's going to be dust or smudges every now and again. So it's just a way a lot of times to make sure, yeah, I can't, I can't see that in my image. But well, So you're a Canon person for the most part. I'm can't, I, on the, on the picture side right. I am. Yeah. And I like the Canon lenses for running. I run a run it right now. I'm running a Sony FS seven and I've run Canon glass on it as well. So you're running, um, what were you running for your, I thought you were running it's, Canon. Yeah, I, I, for my pictures, I'm running a Canon 5D. Okay. And then uh, for the video, it's a Sony. Okay. I'm, yeah. And I'm the exact opposite. That's funny. <laughs> um, but then for, you know, for regular photography, 
probably one of my favorite cameras was, um, and I think you could probably get them cheap now, like you said, was a Canon um, D610. Mm-hmm. And the reason I, I'm saying that for my listeners, because I know, you know, I've got listeners that want to get into this and their budgets are limited. They want to know where to start and you need to start with something that's not too complex. What I liked about the 610 was it took SD cards. Like once you go up to the 810, you start getting into the the bigger flash cards, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, then you're not able to just necessarily go into Walmart and buy some SD cards yeah. for your camera. Um, and then it had like built-in time-lapse mode too, mm-hmm. to where it actually takes the entire time-lapse and then it compresses it into a dot move for oh, nice. you right within the camera. Yeah. And that way, all you have to do is, you know, you could bring it into a, a software and actually just edit the movie. Yeah, it the cuts one. out a lot of time. Yeah, it really does. And space, too. Um, but I really like that camera. But if, if people were really looking at the Canon side, what where would you tell people to start on the Canon you side? You know, there's, there's, you know, my first DSLR was a Canon T3i, which is, uh, gosh, it's probably a six or seven year old if not older dslr from canon and that came with a kit lens and that's essentially what i started with but it's a really great camera that you could probably find used pretty cheap you know if you wanted to go look for one um and then there's the you know the t5i's which is a little bit newer and those are some really good entry-level cameras that shoot on sd cards that have all the manual features and they have auto features if you don't know how to run manual but again you know somebody learning how to do the, the photo thing and video thing that's a great way to start Yep. Is start with a start with a point and shoot camera because the same you know the same ideas apply once you translate it over to video running things on manual you yep. know how to get your exposure right how to set your ISO and your shutter speed taking pictures and then all those cameras for the most part have video so you flip over to video you can still run them in manual and you can do the same thing that's a another great learning tool yeah now when it comes to let's talk software what do you think is if someone wants to learn how to start doing some editing, where do you think? Because our industry, you've been around as long as I have. Um, so I've seen the industry go from Avid to Final Cut to now it's, I think it's at Premiere. Premiere. Mm-hmm. And and actually, in, um, like Tyler told me, and I've had several people tell me that actually some people are going from Premiere back to Final Cut just because of the automatic updates that Premiere's been doing that it sometimes ends up like forcing you into the updates and then you end up having this bug. I know that like Winky and them told me um, that that's the only frustrating part about Adobe is sometimes it'll do an automatic update and you're immediately stuck with maybe a bug or something that's not agreeing with another program you're running. That is something that Premiere does do a lot is they push out a lot of updates and a lot of those updates are bug fixes to things that have happened but the trade-off of that is i think like final cut if you're if you're first if you're just now learning how to edit and it's something that you want to dabble in then i think final cut's a great one because it's a lot more intuitive and easier to learn it's a lot more user-friendly premiere is a lot more robust mm-hmm. um it has features that i'll probably never even use just because i mean it can virtually do anything but i like personally to do the creative cloud which is adobe's platform where you can if you're a student it's like 19.99 a month and if you're a non-student it's like 39.99 or 49.99 a month to where you get the entire adobe suite 
Yeah. So you get video editing, you get picture editing, you get Photoshop, Lightroom, Lightroom, you get everything that they make. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm an Adobe, you know, person through and through because I use Lightroom, Photoshop, After Effects, you know, Premiere. So everything is right there, and they all work together so well. Yep. They all integrate with one another, the files and everything. So, uh, and they have the, the cloud to where you can save all your project files out in the cloud, and that way, if you go from computer to computer. And for some reason, you need that. You know, it's it's got a lot of features as well, but that that update part is very very frustrating. Yeah, that's that's bit <laughs> us a couple times as well. And it's you can and you can roll those updates back. You can go back to older versions, but once you've op- once you've opened that project in the new version, it doesn't like going back to that old version. Yeah. So you got to have you know saved versions. And um, but yeah, no, that is that is something that is very frustrating for sure. What about, um, is there one, like, do you still do tutorials on just learning how to do certain things within those programs? Oh, all the time. Is there one place that where you could recommend someone to like YouTube to like, here's where I start, like you know, if I'll, I want to learn how to do it? I watch a lot of, uh, I watch a lot of stuff for, from the guys at Film Riot. Um, they have a lot of, a lot of tutorials and, and advanced video uh, stuff and sometimes edits. Uh, MZ has a lot. Uh, there's another one called uh, Lynda.com that you can go and do a lot of tutorial stuff. But generally on YouTube, I'll have a an idea. Like I wanted to learn how to do parallax and pictures where you cut out pictures and you know add movement to them. And I just essentially got on YouTube and was like, how do I parallax in Photoshop? And then I'll go through and I'll watch the one that generally has the most comments and views and uh, s- speaks English because half the time it's somebody from another country and you can't understand what they're saying or it's in a different language. And uh, I'll just start watching through them. But all, you know, anything in advanced technique stuff, you know, something I see somebody do or something I want to do but don't exactly know how, but know the the program's capable of yeah. it, I'll just get on there and start searching around. Yeah, I think if, um, and so Final Cut is a Mac-based um, program. So Final Cut is, um, I've used all three, and I actually have all three. Um and I'm not good at any of them. That's probably why. <laughs> it's probably because I have all three. Um, but normally I'll just start out with like Final Cut 101 mm-hmm. and just start looking through. And normally you'll fall on a channel to where you'll find someone that's good mm-hmm. on YouTube and you can start going through. Um, but a lot of guys, get they, they'll get frustrated because they see so many buttons and so many things and they're like, okay, this is just overwhelming. But that's but, like Photoshop. Though. Exactly. Like I, you know, I could... I could take Photoshop and if someone just said, okay, what do you really use? I could probably drop 80% of it off yeah. and completely do yeah. cool stuff and everything I need to do yeah. with, with 20% of what's there. But that's, and, and that's the thing too, is like, you know, people see all the buttons and everything. And like, I remember the first time I opened uh, Final Cut Pro before it changed the platform, the new platform. And I just saw all the buttons and I'm like, there's no way I'll ever learn this. <laughs> there's no, there's entirely too much stuff, but it's yeah. one of those things. It's like, you just got to go shoot a bunch of video, pull it in and start working. And, you know, w- w- eventually you shoot enough stuff, hit the wrong button and learn that command Z, that undo button, because yeah. you're going to need that yeah. one and learn your shortcuts because that makes life so much easier. Um, once you, once you get it in there and just start cutting stuff up. You'll figure it out. Well, and the other thing, too, is with these programs, and one thing I learned with Photoshop is I learned Photoshop completely on my own. Mm-hmm. I just, like, kind of went through it, and I was just hitting the help bar all the time. 
Sharon actually really, she got into photography when she first moved and was doing all my photos. Um, when she first came to America, she was doing all my photos. So she actually went to school mm-hmm. for, you know, she went to school for photography. She went to school for video or photo editing, Photoshop, everything. And she, she would come back and the two of us would be sitting side by side. We'd go out and shoot photos for a day. She'd take half, I'd take half. And she would be doing the same thing as me in a completely different way of doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, that's, that's what's frustrating is there's so many buttons and most of those buttons perform the same task. They just have a different way of getting there. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to look past all that and just be like, okay, what do I need to do to color correct? You know, a, yeah. how, you know, what's my best way of doing yeah. that? And I think, I think too, if someone out there is getting into mm-hmm. filming for their first time, spend equal amount of times capturing and then editing or reviewing because I feel like I became a I became a better photographer and a better videographer so to speak and I'm not a videographer but I I think I got better video because mm-hmm. I had to watch it and I was like oh crap you know man I've only been I was only still for three seconds during that whole thing and you know when you're doing it you're thinking well I'm moving around to get my shot and okay I'm milking this long enough and you realize I didn't milk that long enough at all like in the moment Mm -hmm. it might feel like a long time but then it's like okay I gotta learn to start to count in my head like you know I want a 10 second clip smooth continuous you know just count this thing out Learning the small things like learning to cut frames together, like you learn to where, um, you know, that's the most important thing. If someone's ever filming for me, I'm like, listen, hit record, put your fingers up and just do three, two, one. Like give me three seconds on the front and the back of every clip. Yeah, edit points. Don't say it. And if I say, okay, I'm ready, don't say, okay, go. And you're hitting the button as you're saying go because then you're not able to like get two clips to merge together with like a fade yeah. or a type of effect because there's not enough spacing yeah. to overlay those. So you gotta I have think that video, little, yeah, you gotta have that video tag at the beginning and the end to be able to do that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, cool, dude. We gotta. It's like turning out pretty nice outside. We need to get out there and uh, do some more filming here. But uh, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking some home video, some photography, and all that good stuff. Is there any place, tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, Instagram mainly. I'm on Facebook as well, just Caleb Copeland, but my Instagram is cdcope7. That's where I do most stuff on there. So cdcope7, yeah. and it's cope like... C-O-P-E, yeah. Yeah, I, was, I did co-op. Because I can picture you slinging like big feed bags too. He's that a, was my first job. Was yeah. at a co-op actually. <laughs> You're perfect for a co-op, <laughs> dude. If I was a farmer, I'd want you helping me out. You could probably sling bales of hay all day. You're a big old boy. Um, all right, man. Well, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank and, you. Uh, hopefully, everyone out there has an awesome fall and capture something cool and uh, edit it up quick. Post it on your Instagram and tag tag me and Caleb on there. Say, uh, hashtag did it, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. But all right, everyone, we'll talk at you later.
Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com